The following podcast is brought to you by the Bridge Bible Church in Somerset, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit our website at thebridgewire.com. of all the chaos and just garbage that's going on in the world today. Aren't you ready for Jesus to come back? (laughs) Revelation 19, the return of Christ. We will only get through the first half today. We will see praising in heaven, and we will see the wedding banquet of the Lamb. And then next week, we will finish 19 when we see the sky open, and the Lord descend. And man, I'm excited for this chapter. I feel like when we get to Revelation, it's like you can't get to 19 fast enough. Like this is is the reason I'm reading the book. I love this chapter. So I am excited to be sharing it with you this morning. We'll be, as I said, in Revelation 19, verses 1 through 10. So if you have your Bible, that's where we'll be. If you want to use the Bible in front, you can. Of course, I'll have all the scriptures uh, on the screen. Just as a way of recap, just so we can kind of put our minds in the, in the timeline and, and understand where we've been and what's been going on, Revelation chapters 1 through 3, we, we looked at the church age. Uh, we, we, chapter 1, John is called up by Christ. He is the faithful witness. He is the one giving us this book, the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is not a revelation of John. It's the revelation of of Jesus. It's the uncovering. It is what Jesus has shown us. So chapters 2 and 3 talk about the churches that were there, and we talked about how they correlate to the church age. And in this time, we are in the end of the church age, I believe, moving quickly towards the tribulation time period, where there's two churches, I believe, that are kind of coexisting in the moment. You have the Church of Philadelphia, which is the faithful church, the mission church, the one that is going out and taking the gospel to the world. And then you have the Church of Laodicea, which is this lukewarm facade of church, and it will go into the tribulation. And so you have a splitting that will happen at the end of chapter 3, where I believe that's where the rapture happens, and I'll talk a little bit more about that. So we've pointed out in different places as we've gone through Revelation where different people have placed the rapture, but I put it at the end of chapter 3. Revelation 4 and 5, then, is the throne room of heaven. We see worship and praising in heaven. We get to have a glimpse of the throne, and we see the majesty of it. And then it's right before the judgments are are to begin, there's worship and praise of God. And the Lamb takes the scroll, and he begins to bring the judgments. And so that is Revelation 4 and 5. Then 16 through 18, those chapters, all talk about things going on during the tribulation. And so there's a whole lot of different things that we've looked at and different people and different uh, situations and the judgments themselves and what those were. All of that happens in 16 through 18. That's the tribulation period. And all of those things described there will be fulfilled before Christ returns. And that's where we are in Revelation 19, Jesus's second coming. The second coming, uh, as we are looking at it then from this futuristic point of view with the rapture happening at the end of the churches, uh, it would would be in two phases. The first phase is the rapture. 
So the second coming happens in two phases. The first is the rapture of the church at the end of chapter 3. We would read this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. It says this. And after this, I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of the great multitude. Nope, go to Thessalonians, please. Thank you. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, depending on your eschatology, this verse could end up in different places. But as I'm looking at it as a premillennial, pre-tribulational view, that this is the calling up. And some would say this is the hidden coming of Jesus because he doesn't touch the earth. There's a trumpet and the church is taken up. And so people have placed this verse in different schemes of their understanding of end times. So I believe that this trumpet is the last trumpet of the Feast of Trumpets, which we read in Leviticus 23, verses 23 through 25. This is what it says in Leviticus 23. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, In the seventh month of the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with the blast of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work, and you shall present a food offering to the Lord. Now, the the Feast of Trumpets is a remembrance that God had brought them out of slavery, out of Egypt. And so the fulfillment of the Feast of Trumpets is God bringing the church out of Egypt, so to speak, out of the world. He is bringing them out, and he's bringing them a day of rest. They are to do no more work. They are to be at rest in his presence. John chapter 9, verse 4, we read, did I give you that scripture? 9 verse 4 says, Night is coming when no man can work. And so the church will be taken up and they will be at rest. They will finish their works. Here we go. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. So while we have now, while we have this moment, church, we are to be busy serving the Lord. We are to take uh, all the blessings and good gifts and the things that he's given us and declare the glories of God to those around us to do the good works of Christ, to proclaim his goodness, the year of the Lord's favor, because night is coming, the trumpet will sound, the feast of trumpets will, will call us up into his presence. At, the, at that trumpet sound, it also begins a time of calling back Israel with repentance. That's the tribulation. It's a calling back to the Lord. It's a time of softening their hearts and looking for their Messiah, for their salvation. For the church, it is the end of our works and to be caught up with him. It's a day of rest. The judgment will be coming after that trumpet. The second thing is the physical coming of Christ. So the, the second coming has two parts, the, the rapture of the church and then the physical second coming of Jesus to the earth. And when that happens, Jesus will return to the Mount of Olives near Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 1 verse 11, we see this, and he said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So he's taken up from the Mount of Olives. He will come back to the same place, to the Mount of Olives. We read this in Zechariah 14, 2 through 4. 
For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle. This is Armageddon. And the city shall be taken, and the houses plundered, and the women raped. Half of the city shall go out into exile, but the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. The Lord will go out and fight against those nations when he fights on the day of battle. On that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley, so that one half of the mount shall move northward and the other half southward. Jesus will come and split the Mount of Olives. When he returns, a sword will come from his mouth, and the armies that are laying siege against his people will be laid low. He will return and be victorious. Where he was ascended, he will descend. So chapter 19, when we get into this now, first starts with a lot of sights and sounds. I want us to be aware of that. Verses 1 through 10, John will say things like, I heard, I heard this, I heard that. I want you to pay attention. In the first 10 verses, he says, I heard. In the second half, he's going to say things like, I saw, I saw. So it's full of sights and sounds. So let's look at 19, 1 through 10, and I'll read it, and then we'll, we'll just go through the passage. Starting in verse 1, John writes in the Spirit, After this I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. One more they cried, once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen, hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be a voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Father God, as we get into chapter 19, we ask that your Holy Spirit would illuminate it to us. Speak to us, Lord. May we exult in these truths. May we bring our Hallel, our praise to you because of what we read here this morning. 
call us further up and deeper into your presence. May we have a glimpse of glory. May this excite our spirit and may it strengthen our feet and our hands for the work that you have for us to do. God, we ask that this passage would not leave us unaffected, that we would just bring from your people, from the lips of your people, praise and worship, for you are worthy of it. So teach us, we pray, as we go through this passage. In Jesus' name, Father, amen. In verse 1, it says this, After this, I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. So this after this, the this that he's talking about here is a reference to chapter 17 and 18. And those two chapters talk about the spiritual and economic fall of Babylon. Is the complete destruction and fall of Babylon. And so they are saying at this moment, there's a great multitude gathering and they're praising God after his judgments are complete and they're praising him for his judgments. They're praising him for the fulfillment of his promises, to make all things new, to make all things right, to not let evil and sin reign, but to bring it under his sovereign kingship and to bring perfect justice, a great multitude. That multitude that we read in this passage is that of the saints of God who are in his presence, and it's also the tribulation martyrs who are gathered under the altar of God. So in Revelation chapter 7, 9 through 14, we, we read about a great multitude. He says, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes. So we see that great multitude. They are there. And then in Revelation 6, verse 10, if you'll just flip over to that slide for me there, Eric. Revelation 6, 10. Oh, I, I, can, I can just flip in my Bible. It says this, They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. So during the tribulation time, many will lose their life for the testimony of Jesus. And they are under the altar and they're crying out for justice. And this moment in 19, their prayers are being answered. Justice is coming. Here comes the king. He will make it right. So we have this great multitude. You have a multitude from every tribe, nation, and tongue. You have the church there in his presence. You have those who are the tribulation saints who have been slain and are there in his presence, and they are praising him, and they are rejoicing. It says that they rejoice because judgment of things past has come. Injustice is being dealt with. God doesn't overlook it. It hasn't been lost from his sight. All those slights, all those things where you feel like, what is, what is happening? God sees it. It is not forgotten. And he will make it right. Perfect justice for all of those wrongs. 
So they cry out. Look at what they say. Because this is so powerful. They cry out, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now this is a Hebrew word. It's transcribed in every language. It's, it, this is how it is. Either hallelujah or hallelujah. It's not changed. It's two words in the Hebrew. It's hallel, which means to praise. Hallel, they're saying praise. And uyah is part of joining together for Yahweh. So it's hallel uyah. Praise Yahweh. Praise God. Praise the Lord. They use his name in that word. We are giving praise to God together for what he has done. It is stated four times in the book of Revelation. We have seen different times in Revelation where people praise and they gather together and they ascribe to him honor and glory and they say he's so beautiful and powerful and wonderful. But in this moment, before Jesus returns, they use the word hallelujah. It's only used four times in Revelation and it's only used in this passage. They say all of us together in his presence, let us give him our hallel, the highest praise to God. They praise him for his work, for what he has done. It's an imperative statement. It's got power. It's speaking to one another and to the Lord. It's an encouragement. It's an encouragement that come with me, join with me. Let us praise the Lord together for this truth, for who he is, for what has been revealed, for the promise kept. Let us praise the Lord together. Anselm, one of the church fathers, said, it is an angelic word that can't be reproduced in any language. And Augustine agreed with that, and he added that it embodies all of the blessedness of heaven. And then Rob, that's me, I added, I would go further. <laughs> I just put my name in there with those guys. I would go further and add that it is a word that should arouse and stir your soul, elevating our affections for Christ, the risen Lamb. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let us praise him together. They praise him for what? They say this, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. The English uh, translation that you have may add the word honor, the glory and honor. In the, in the Greek, where it says salvation and glory, that Greek word means glory and honor. So some English translations say salvation and glory and honor and power. And you know what? We still haven't nailed it. Because in the Greek, there is an article put in front of each of those words. And what they really says in the Greek, when you look at this, when, when John hears the Spirit of God revealing this, and he's writing it down, and this is what he says. He says, the salvation, the glory, the honor, the power belong to God alone. He puts the article in front of it. There is no salvation except the salvation of God. There is no glory except the glory of the Lord. There is no honor that is, is to be given except the honor of God to him, the power of the Lord to bring all of this to pass. 
It's his alone. Our hope belongs to God. So we let him guard our heart. We let him guard our mind in Christ. Let his peace wash over you. Listen to the words of this hymn penned by Martin Luther, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. He says this, A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. And I know you're humming it right now, aren't you? Our helper, he, amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing, for still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be, Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear For God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. And that word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. So let goods and kindreds go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. We have a perfect hope in God because the salvation, the glory, the honor, the power all belong to him. Martin Luther said that he is Lord Sabaoth. That means Lord of armies, Lord of hosts. It is God who goes forth with us and leads us to certain victory. The salvation belongs to God. Hallelujah. Verse 2, they say, For his judgments are true and just, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Justice and truth come forth. They look at what Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet have done at the end of these days. They look at the corruption of sin and what has happened to this world and Christ is coming to bring justice and make it all right again. He will come for his millennial reign. And they are praising him for it. But while we are in this moment, we lose sight of that. And we, we, at times, can look at the world around us and we, like David, we call out to God. We, we question God. We, we wonder why things are the way they are. So I want us to look at Psalm 73, 1 through 17. It's, it's questioning why evil prospers. This is what we read. The psalm of Asaph. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. 
for they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and, and they scoff and speak with malice loftily. They threaten oppression. They set their mouth against the heavens. And their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus... I would have betrayed the, gen the generation of, our, of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Look at that last phrase. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. See, we look at the world around us and we look at all the injustices and we look at the wickedness that is happening and we say, is God on the throne? Does he not see? Look, they seem to be at ease and they're prospering and look what's happening and, and, and I'm doing my best to follow him and keep my life pure and, and, and go about his ways and, and just love Jesus and I just feel oppressed and stricken and beaten down and, and they're at ease until God reminds me, justice is coming. Every tear is collected. I have seen your grief. I have borne your sorrows. I see all of this. And it will not go unchecked. It will not go without being judged rightly. It will all come before the perfect judge. He will see every instance, and he will judge it rightly. So we can be at peace. We can be at peace in the midst of struggle and, and trials and tribulation. Why? Because I know in the end, Christ will make it right. I may not have my sense of justification, my sense of righteous judgment, my, what I want. I might not get what I want, but perfect justice will happen. And I can take comfort in that. So they praise God for perfect justice, perfect judgment. They say, hallelujah. Evil will not go unnoticed. It will not go unpunished. Verse 3, they say this. Once more they cry out, hallelujah, praise the Lord. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. Perfect, complete justice and judgment. The ashes of Babylon rise before them forever and ever. Everything that should be judged will be judged. Verse 4, it says, And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen. That means let it be so. Amen. Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, 
you who fear him, small and great. So we see in verse 4 that there's the 24 elders and the four living creatures. And we had said earlier in the book of Revelation, the 24 could be the 12 tribes uh, ahead of each tribe and then the 12 apostles making up the, the 24. Eight, 24, some believe that's just the fullness of the church, that it's just the 24 elders of the church. Uh, we're not certain. We're just using our best understanding, our best guess of what, who these elders are. But the 24 elders are there, the four living creatures who tend to God, who are around his throne day and night. Those four living creatures that we saw in Revelation chapter 4, they are there in this moment, and they are praising God. And they fell down and worshiped. And then there's an added exhortation from the throne. Give praise to God, all who fear, all who have reverence for him. Give him praise, all from every station, the lowest to the highest. All together, praise God. From every station, from the lowest to the highest, let us praise him together. For we all have received the same salvation. We are all receiving this reward, and justice is being done. I think about the, the conversation uh, I had, and I'm, I'm going to bring up the conversation you and I had, Diane, but I'm not saying anything bad about you. We were just talking about Revelation, and we were talking about these passages where the elders fall down, and then there's praise, and then they fall down again, and she's just like, wow, that seems like a tiresome business, just always falling down, always falling down. <laughs> you know? And as we look through it, though, I, I think there's something beautiful that is being communicated to us. When these truths of God come out, when we see something about him, and when he's revealing himself, it's like we want to raise our halal. We want to raise our praise to him. And when we raise our praise, when we are stirred up, when we see God and there's something more being just shown to us that's so beautiful and right and, and holy, we fall down. It's just like, yeah, it's like I can't stop doing it because of just how beautiful God is. I want to raise a hallel with my brothers and sisters in the sanctuary of God, and I want to fall on my face and just praise him. And then I stand up, and we see something new, and we say, oh, praise God, hallel, and then we fall down again. And the elders lead that. And the angels, the four living creatures, lead that. They say, amen. This is good. This is good. Our... Savior, who brings us the salvation before we get to the wedding feast part. I, I just want to point out, as we've gone through the book of Revelation, we've seen the names of God in different ways. Do you know what the most used name of God is in the book of Revelation? Diane, you can't answer this because you know. <laughs> Do you know what his most used name is? Anybody? It's the Lamb. The Lamb. That's how he wants to be known to his people. The Savior, the one who came, who gave his life, the lamb who was slain. That's, that's the most used name of Christ in the book of Revelation. And we look at him and we say, the salvation belongs to the lamb, the one who has made all things right. And that's important because we get to verses 6 through 8. Verse 6 through 8, it says this, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, 
like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. So six through eight, there's praise. They, they raise another hallelujah, another hallel. Praise the Lord. I want to point something out as we're looking at this. There's a lot of praise in heaven. There's something special at times about the praise that the saints give. There's something special about the, the praise of the elders and the angels and the elect angels who watch. Those are the ones who have not fallen from their station. There's something special about it. There's waves. It's like we're giving him praise, but then God reveals something to his people and who he is and the truth and the promises he's fulfilled. And you know what happens? A crescendo of praise raises in heaven. It's like, you think about it, it's like there's praising and there's worship. And then all of a sudden they just erupt. And here what you see is, or what we read, is what John hears. Like a great multitude, the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder. The only thing I can think of that probably is close to this is like being in a stadium, watching a, a sporting event, and something awesome happens, and then the crowd just erupts. Like, they're already cheering, but then all of a sudden something happens, and then like the noise meter comes up. You know, when you're watching uh, football now, and we're getting into the end, we're getting close to see who's going to be in the Super Bowl and all that, and you get to some of these home stadiums, and, and then the noise meter goes on, and it's like the quarterbacks can't even talk to the guys on the field, you know? It gets so loud in the stadiums. Like, imagine that in heaven but multiply it. The praise of God is going up, and then the praises erupt. Just overwhelming, like peals of thunder and many waters. Praising God for what he has done. You will get to be there, church. You're in this picture. You're part of that, that, that gathering, praising, and worshiping. This is like, you get to look forward to this. This is a culmination of Jesus with his bride. They praise God and they're excited. The wedding feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb, of the Lamb has come. There's three parts to a Jewish wedding feast. There's the betrothal. And I'm going to make these really simplistic, so I'm sorry. Uh, some of you are going to be like, oh, you could go for a whole nother hour or so, Rob, on each of these. I'm not. I'm going to make it very simple. There's the betrothal. Then there is the time where the bridegroom would come and return to get his bride. And then there is the banquet and the feast. Now, the betrothal, that time... Uh, in Jewish culture uh, of the betrothal is a contract that is, that is being made and a dowry that is being paid. Usually this happens between the fathers. It can be 
when both children are very young, the dad says, hey, I got a son and you got a daughter and let's strike a deal. And when they're of the right age, we'll marry them together. And, you know, what's the, what's the dowry going to be? What's the, how are we going to, what's the contract? And they would do terms and they would agree on terms and the dowry would be paid. It's like, this is what's going to happen. And so you have that arranged marriage. It could also be uh, later in life uh, where uh, the male is much older and he is working in his his trade and skill, typically of what his father does, but the father still would look for a potential mate and find the, they would do the contract and they would be the, the dowry paid. Well, think about it. Salvation that comes, the father sent Christ, the son, to pay the dowry for his bride, the church, which was his life, his blood, and his body being broken. He paid the dowry, the contract. And Jesus, when he pays it, he says, this is the new covenant in my blood, the contract of your salvation. What is being paid is my life for you. He gives himself. The Father sends him and makes the contract. He pays for sin. And we are betrothed when we come to Jesus by faith. Well, during that time of betrothal, then the bridegroom would then go back to the father's house and prepare a place for the bride. John 14, 2, it says this In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. He leaves, he goes back to the father to prepare a place for you and for me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. So during this betrothal time uh, in, in the ancient culture, the, the, the dowry is paid, the contract is made, the bridegroom uh, at the right time would prepare a place at his Father's house. He, he will then go and get his bride later, but he is preparing a place for her to come and live with them. And then that's when it's ready, that's when he would return. And that's... The second part, the bridegroom returns to get his bride. Matthew 24 talks about ten virgins, and, and five of them have oil in their lamps, and five of them do not. The five that have oil are ready. They have the Holy Spirit. They're, they're looking, they're watching, they're waiting for the return of the bridegroom. They're looking for him to come. So they're part of the wedding party. Their job is to listen for the announcement of his return. With the trumpet of the Lord, he will descend. Right? They're waiting for his return. They're looking for him. And those that have oil in their lamp, they're ready to receive him. The others look at him and say, hey, give us some of your oil. And they, they say, you go buy your own. You can't get there on borrowed faith. That's the point. They say, I can't give you my oil. You have to get your own oil. You have to have faith. You have to be here. And church, there's another point there. We should be waiting and looking and expecting, expecting, always expecting. Is it today, Lord? Is it today? Is it tonight? In the late hours of the watch, if he shows up, we light the lamp and we're ready. That's, the, that's what he's saying here. So in, in Matthew 24, they are receiving the bridegroom. He comes, he receives them. Then he goes back for the wedding party and they close the doors. And we read about that, and it's a, a picture of the rapture. 
the trumpet of the Lord sounds, that he has come, he is calling his bride, and those who are ready and watching, they are taken up. They come to him, and they go in, and they are with him. In my Father's house are many rooms, and they are with him. There's a place prepared for his bride, and they are there. John 13, 33 through 14, 3, we read this. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will crow till you have denied me three times. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. He uses wedding language with them. He says, I'm going to prepare the place. You can't go right now. I have to go do this work, but I will come again. I will come again. And so what does he say? While I'm gone, love one another. What's that? That's be ready, be watching, be doing the good works. And when I call you, I will take you to where I am. So that's John 13, 33 through 14, 3. And then the banquet. Banquet is typically one week, seven days. Now, whether we're up there the whole time uh, with a banquet feast, I don't believe it's, it's necessarily that. I, I, I think just being in the Lord's presence through the tribulation is, is that time of just being with him, together with him. This, it's, it's a great moment for us and for the bride that we are together with our bridegroom. We have the week with him, but the, the wedding supper is this moment that we're, that's building through to the, at the end of tribulation. There's this moment right before he returns. We have this feast. Revelation 19 is the feasting with the Lord in his presence. So the bride with the bridegroom in the presence of the Father and the elect angels, lifting up their Hallel. It's a beautiful picture. Stand with me. Let's pray. Father, you're so good. We see this moment in heaven where you will have your bride with you, where you have done everything that you had promised and you're still, <laughs> there's still so much more we don't understand that, that we will receive and that we will be in the presence of and that, God, I'm just excited about it all. And we just say thank you. We're not worthy of any of this, and yet you have lavished us with grace and your love and affection have been poured into our hearts by your Holy Spirit. And Father, we want to lift up a halal. 
We want to say, praise the Lord. We want to say, you are worthy. And so as we sing, may this just be us coming together here on earth to raise the Hallel. Prepare us, Lord. Prepare us for those good works. May we clothe ourselves with those good works. You say that, it, that you've prepared your bride. You're preparing us. That we will be without spot or blemish or any such thing. The beautiful garments are the good works that go before us. The righteousness of Christ through us. Hallel. Church, Hallel. Raise your praise. Father, we do this together as we close our service. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. The Bridge Bible Church stands to exalt the name of Jesus. We seek to be a community that gives glory to Christ above all things and welcomes all people to join us in worshiping him. If you don't have a church home, consider visiting ours. We are ordinary people who want to live life with authentic faith. For more information on how to get connected, deepen your faith, and experience what God has for you, please visit our website at thebridgewire.com.